Welcome to the Don't Trip on the Usual Travel podcast from Beyond Experiences. My name is Kishan and I'm going to be speaking with Anand today and he's going to be speaking about Iceland. So let's hear more from him. Hey Kishan, what's Iceland all about? Iceland is an island and it's all about ice. It's all about natural beauty. It's all about a very different land than what I at least have ever experienced. That's what Iceland is all about. So tell me Anand one thing now I mean I uh, I've I understand you've traveled to Iceland and it's been uh, I mean how did you go about something like Iceland I mean, what is how does Iceland appeal to anybody I mean for me what looks I mean when I when I hear about Iceland it sounds like it's going to be a very icy place to go to and why would I go all the way down to a, a place like Iceland Yeah I know that's a misconception that lots of people have and actually I also had it for quite some time I Iceland had been on my list on my plate for a very long time before I decided to go there I had always thought about it I always thought about it as an icy land but remember uh, just before I reached I realized that you know there's Iceland and there's Greenland and you'd assume Greenland is all green and Iceland is all ice it's just the reverse mm-hmm. someone there in the while naming it used his ample sense of humor Iceland should have been named Greenland and Greenland should have been named Iceland. So it's not as cold as all that. If you go during the peak of winter, maybe it's cold. There's some amount of snow. You probably hit a minus four, minus five when you go up north of Iceland. But otherwise, it's a very nice place. It's a nice cold. At least for me, I enjoyed the cold. Okay. Uh, so when I when I looked up Iceland, I think the only uh, city that I could uh, perhaps correlate to was a, was this capital city of Reykjavik. Now, is there anything else? I mean, um, down in Iceland that you would recommend us, or are there any four or five standout experiences that you would like to uh, bring about, uh, which would perhaps appeal to me to travel to Iceland? Okay, um, let me tell you about Iceland. Iceland is an island, like I said, right? It's a very small island. If you're from India, you would say that hey, this damn place is so small. Iceland has got one major city. extreme south reykjavik which is the capital this city is where every flight lands every international traveler comes into reykjavik that's the you you're forced to come there there's the rest of the country is all small towns except for one town one major town which has an airport it's smaller much smaller than reykjavik it's not as bustling it's in the extreme north it's called akureyri so imagine a circle and on one side of the circumference on one end of the circumference is reykjavik and a line that is drawn from here up north it lands at akureyri what i did is i traveled from reykjavik i stayed in reykjavik traveled around reykjavik then i went by road all the way to akureyri stayed in akureyri went around all those places and then went back by road uh, on the opposite direction on the circle and came back to reykjavik in a sense the country exists on the circumference of the circle Okay, so if you travel through that and then you keep moving towards the center, it's slightly inaccessible kind of uh, terrain. But you move in, come back. You stay on the circumference. So, so like most of the countries have their cities which are developed along the coast, yeah, and which are developed, you know, around the boundary. So, is Iceland something like that? It's a- exactly like that. So, in the center, it's inaccessible. It's mountainous. It's icy. If you have to go there, in some other places, you have to get, take all-terrain vehicles to go out there. and otherwise it's not but, but does anybody actually travel to those kind of terrains i mean i know it's naturally very beautiful but uh, what what is i mean why would you travel i mean, i assume that you've traveled down there of what, course what, i did what is it 
I went all through and most of the places I went into the center while staying on the circumference. I went into the center on ATVs, etc. It's beautiful is, is an understatement. It's craggy, it's mountainous, it's ice, there are volcanoes. It's called the land of fire and ice for a reason. There's a lot of ice, there's a lot of volcanoes and the two of them coexist. Now, since you mentioned about icy conditions, I would presume that you would have traveled down to Iceland during the winters. Right? How yes. are the summers? I mean, is it worthwhile visiting Iceland in the summers? So this is like, have you ever owned one of these jackets which have two colors, one inside and one outside? Yes, of course. Iceland is like that. In the summer, it's a totally different country. The whole set of uh, colors that are very different in the winter, it's just white and light blue, white and light blue all over. And beautiful is not the word, in a, in a very desolate sense. But in the summers, it takes on a whole new hue, it takes on a whole new set of colors. The experiences are different. You do whaling on in one season, you don't do whaling in the other season. You do puffin spotting in one season, you don't do puffin spotting in the other season. You do glacier treks in the winter. In the summer, they're not, uh, they're treacherous. The ice is treacherous, they don't allow glacier treks. You have ice caves in the winter, you don't have them in the summer. But in the summer, you have the midnight sun and in the winter, you don't have no sun. So are you saying that Iceland is a country that we need to visit during the summers as well as in the winters? Absolutely. It is a country that you have to visit during summer, during winter, any time in between and many times during all these seasons. All right. So one thing that comes to my mind is whenever I've read about Iceland, they talk about uh, the golden circle which is there. So what you're referring to along the coastal side, is it, does that actually uh, correlate to the golden circle? No, 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 no. So don't get confused with that. See, it's like in India, you have the Golden Triangle. Now, the Golden Triangle is what most foreign tourists go into. Tourists, mind you, not travelers. The Golden Triangle is Delhi, Jaipur, Agra. I come to Delhi, I see Delhi, I go to Jaipur, I get a stomach upset, I see the four. And from there, I come into uh, Agra, see the Taj Mahal, five days, boom, I'm out and I think I've covered India. No, that's the Golden Triangle, but it's the most visited part of India. But India is much more than that, right? There's the northeast, there's the south, there's the west, there's the central, there's the east. There's so much more. Mm-hmm. There are the Himalayas. Yeah. But yeah. but people don't do that. Now the Golden Circle in Iceland is the most visited travel circuit, which is only in the southwest. Okay. It essentially goes from Reykjavik, goes to a national park called Thingalin National Park. Mm-hmm. You see a farm where the Icelandic horses are kept, mm-hmm. and from there you come in and you see the geysir, which is uh, very famous, the hot spring and the gases that come out. The, the geyser, the word geyser comes from that, mm-hmm. and then you come back to Reykjavik. That's the golden circle. Mm-hmm. The largest circle of Iceland is a much longer. The golden circle can be done in four to five days, mm-hmm. but the largest circle of Iceland, if you go around the circumference, it's at least a couple of weeks if you if you hurry. Okay. Now, uh, hot springs, I mean, how different are they? I mean, the only the only thing that I can correlate is, of course, I've been to Himachal, I've seen the hot springs there, seen the place called Astatapani where you can actually feel it and also possibly in, in some places like Himachal, you can actually get into those waters and, you know, and take a shower or take a bath. So, is it the same, uh, is, is it the same down in Iceland? Oh, Iceland is very different. So... See, I told you, remember, I told you that this was a land of fire and ice because there's a lot of uh, volcanic activity. There's a lot of uh, uh, geysers that come out, which is spurts of hot water that come. When you talk about the geysir or the geyser, the largest one really goes up, kicks up really, really high. You can just watch it. You can go take a bath in it because it's very sulfurous and, and they kind of cordon off the area. So you can stand on the side, outside of the cordon and watch it. You'll probably get the spray and nothing else. And it smells god-awful, mm-hmm. right? But then it's a, it's a sight to see. It's quite a sight. 
you can't take a bath in it. Mm. However, in Iceland, in most of you are going to Reykjavik, there is there this concept called the Sundlag. Now, Sundlag is this community pool of hot water, which is naturally occurring hot water, and everyone goes out there and hands out. You know, so in the evening you finish work, you go out, and instead of going out to a um, to the local coffee shop or the local pub or whatever, most people just land up at the Sundlag, and and that's where people start. People meet each other, there's lots of socializing, and all of that. There are some large ones like the Blue Lagoon, which is a huge touristy uh, uh, draw, really. And everyone who's anybody who visits Iceland will get into the Blue Lagoon. To my mind, it was very, very commercial. It's a large pool. It's really hot water. It's piping hot water. And outside, the temperature is like one degree, minus one degree, and so on. And inside, you're there. It's open air also. So there's steam rising from it. You're inside that, and you know it's bloody cold outside, right? But I personally felt it was a touristy trap. It became an anticlimax for me because you get in there and then there's beer as soon as you come out. There are lots of people around, people taking selfies. It's a madhouse. I personally like the pool, the the, the hot water pool in uh, Mivatn much better. Mm-hmm. Now there near Lake Mivatn, it's right up in the north. It's near Akureyri. Very few tourists who come out there. That's beautiful. It's much smaller than the Blue Lagoon. Far less touristy facilities, but beautiful like how. For me, I like that much more than the Blue Lagoon. Okay. The hot springs there. Now, with this hot water, oh, one very interesting thing, Kishan. In this place, the heating comes out of this hot water, which naturally occurs. So, this hot water is kind of piped into most houses, which go around the constructions. That's the heating. It's natural heating. Mm-hmm. You don't really spend for heating, etc. Okay. But you were talking about the golden ring. You know, uh, I told you about those Icelandic horses. They're yes. very different from yes. the other horses. Yes. For instance, they have this very int- interesting rule where they say that. The, uh, the, uh, if an Icelandic horse is taken out of the country, you can't bring it back. Mm-hmm. And why is that so? Because they want to preserve the race. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the Icelandic horse is very different. They look very different. They move very different. So it's about the number of feet that are on the ground. You have to see it to believe it. I can't explain it. I can trot and show you if you want. Okay. Okay. Yeah? I don't think you'll want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Do they anyway go back? To you know, to the old times uh, where the Vikings uh, used to prevail down in the sea. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So this is from the time of the Vikings that these people, these horses are there, and it requires a certain amount of uh, flexibility and a very different gait when you're on ice, when you're on sheet ice, and that's where it must have developed. So they're built very differently in the feet, apparently. Okay. I know for a fact. I, I spent my time in Iceland in the interiors when I went. I spent my time slipping and sliding away because the bloody ice. Is such that you have to walk very differently. Mm-hmm. You're on a glacier trek. You have to walk like John Wayne walking around the place with two guns on his own, hip holster, right? With a certain kind of swagger out there. I quite enjoyed it after a time, but that's what the horses also must have done. Okay. Is there anything else? I mean, you did mention about the glacier walk. Did you happen to do it? Oh uh, yes, I did this. I did this in this place called the uh, I forget the name, but I think it was um, a Solaimjökull. Okay, it was a tongue of a glacier that had come in one place, and on that tongue you were allowed to do this. So you you can't walk there with your normal shoes. So I had my normal trekking boots and my snow boots, uh, which I normally use, and uh, they are higher than the ankles. So that was a good thing. So you go on, you wear your normal shoes, and you reach a particular point. From there, there on, when you are on the smooth glacier, remember the surface. When we walk, you know, it's friction that ensures that we don't fall, and we walk in a certain gait. On the glacier, there's zero friction. So if you drop something out there, it just goes, and you don't try to stop it. The damn thing will uh, reach the ocean or, or wherever it reaches, right? Or inside a volcano or something. But 
it's very smooth. So you have to walk with crampons on. So they give you these crampons, you tie that onto your uh, shoes. If you've done any kind of snow hiking or ice hiking, you would know what these crampons are. They're basically metal teeth um, that you tie onto your shoes, on the exterior of your shoes. So, so at the heel, you have something that digs in. So when you walk, when you walk normally here, you would walk with your toes hitting the ground first. Here you walk with your heels hitting the ground first. So you hit your heel in, dig your tooth, the crampon teeth into the ice, and then you put the next foot forward. If you don't, you fall. If you fall, you reach the sea at, at very low cost or completely cheap, or you reach a volcano. So so coming back to it, how safe are these glacier treks? I mean, I would you I mean I I would presume that you have done a fair bit of trekking or you mustered a lot of courage in order to do this glacier trek. Would you actually recommend it to any person who is a or a non-trekker like me? See, it's it's it needs some regular level of fitness, and given the fact that you're a marathoner and all that, I don't think fitness is a concern at all. What it does require is a quick learning of how to walk and a constant thing in your mind. At least for me, the first time that I used crampons, not in Iceland but elsewhere, the first time I used it, I had to constantly tell myself, "Heal first, heal first." But it's fun. I would recommend it for anybody with moderate levels of fitness. It's a must-do. It is something else to see these damn uh, glaciers and the sheer stretch of infinity that ice can go up. And uh, one thing, obviously, since you visited it during the winters, I mean, I uh, when I traveled to Norway around about uh, a couple of years back, and that was also during the peak winters, uh, we experienced obviously the Northern Lights, and I'm sure the Northern Lights is also visible from my from Iceland, considering it is further north. Uh, towards the North Pole. So, uh, how was that experience? I'm, I'm sure you would have witnessed the same. Oh, look, I've seen the Northern Lights in Norway, I've seen it in Finland, I've seen it in Sweden, I've seen it in Iceland. I'll tell you what, the Northern Lights are the Northern Lights, the same damn lights that come up there. Mm -hmm. And it's the same celestial experience when you see those lights, you just stand out there and forget about the present. And you start looking at it and saying, my God, this can't be true. I had a spectacular sighting in Norway, in Tromsø, and I had a, a not as spectacular, but a good enough sighting in Abisko in Sweden. Finland was great. Um, Iceland was nice. It wasn't as spectacular as Norway, but that's luck. You know, it's not about the place. It's just about luck. It was a good experience. It was a great sighting. But I think the Tromsø experience spoiled it for me. But this is good. It, it, it lasted for, a, for the better part of a night, and it just kept continuing coming on and off. It's beautiful. You've seen the light, so you know how beautiful it is. Yeah. But the big difference is that the base level of experience, Norway, when you see it, you see the lights after you see, do a lot of husky sledding and dog sledding. And there's a there's a bit of a, uh, there's a larger amount of, of, let's say, a cosmopolitan culture, for want of a better word, from which, after which you go somewhere else and you see the lights. In Iceland, you are staying in the middle of desolate snow and then you're seeing it. It's a whole different experience. I saw the lights from a place called Hela, mm -hmm. which is about uh, what about about two and a half three hours from Reykjavik, if I remember right. Small village on the banks of a river. It was all frozen over. Small cottages on the banks of it. I was staying in one of those cottages. Very cheap, let me tell you. One supermarket in that whole village where you buy your soups and stuff like that. And then I just sat out there in the night. The lights came on and they said that you know it's it's come out, so you had to walk from your cottage to a particular place where there's some amount of heat inside. So you step outside, you see the lights, you do your photographs, etc. And then you quickly run back inside to thaw your fingers. Otherwise, you get um, your, your fingers really don't seem like they're yours anymore. Mm -hmm. But that was a very different experience, unlike my Norway one, or where I went in a bus and uh, 
you know, stopped somewhere and then got back into the bus. So, so like it was in the place that I was staying for God's sake. Hmm. Now, now, when when I was in Norway, I, we had to travel to this place called a Stromso, or you go down to a place called as Alta, or you go down to a place called as Kirkenes, yeah. in order to see the Northern Lights. Yeah. But I believe you can see the Northern Lights from Reykjavik itself. Yeah. Is that is that a fact? Yeah, that's true. From Reykjavik itself, you can see the lights on on many nights. But again, as I told you, Northern Lights, you know, it's a, it's a natural phenomenon. You never know when it'll end, when it'll come up, and so on. Right. But you can see it from, and I've seen met people who have been looking at, uh, who have seen the lights from uh, Reykjavik itself. I didn't see it from Reykjavik. I I saw it from Akur area. The minute I went up north, I saw it almost every night. But the first time I saw it in Iceland was in town called Hella, where I stayed for a, a, a night when I was on the way to Akur area from. Uh, uh, so, but as I told you, about three hours from uh, Reykjavik. Uh, sounds sounds to be super interesting. Are there anything else that you that come to your mind? I'm sure you, you, you know, being a very passionate traveler yourself and having spent about, I think two or three weeks down in Iceland, you would have explored the you know the length and breadth. So, is there anything else that comes to your mind? Oh yes, the, the country itself is a standout. Okay, now in that for me the standout experiences, the first thing was was so the, the place is full of waterfalls. Yeah. Okay, all over the place there are waterfalls. Some are frozen, some are not frozen. Some are running, some are not running. But just one of them, and all of them have legends around them. They all require treks, and because they are the way they are, you trek up to the top of the waterfall and see it falling. And then there are frozen waterfalls in some places, for God's sake. But uh, one of them I was supremely excited with was this waterfall. I think it was Skogafoss. I go out there, and and the waterfall is there. And it's majestic. It's really tall, and I'm standing there watching. And suddenly. On the mist, on the spray from the waterfall, there's a rainbow that forms wow. because the sun also came on. It was something else. I, I you would see it on my Facebook page, but but it's a rainbow on a waterfall, and that's the first time I'd seen that. There's a place called the Goda Falls, which is up north. Now, Goda Falls literally means where the gods fell, and it has great amount of story in the history of this entire place. So when when Christianity came and Catholicism came into Iceland, the other major religion was the pagan religion where they worshipped nature and so on and so forth. But 50% of the population were pagans, 50% were, were Catholic, and then they had to make a choice between which is the religion that the country would follow, and they decided to go with Catholicism. And this person was the leader. He was a he believed in paganism, by the way, but uh, he chose to take the country into this, and he took all his gods, the idols of all his gods, and threw them down a waterfall in the town where he stayed, which was in the north of Iceland, uh, Iceland. So he threw it down into this waterfall, and that's why the name of the waterfall is Gorafoss, which is where the gods fell. Okay. So stories like this: there's a volcano which is treated as a woman, and a woman uh, who uh, who was extremely angry, and therefore she and and she's personified as this volcano. There, lots of legends, lots of stories. The beauty of that place is that you, when you are in that desolate landscape, you start believing the damn stories. That's one the waterfalls. The other was, as I told you, the glacier walk, the the waterfall rainbow that was there. What else was there? Oh, uh, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, and if you are a Game of Thrones fan, um, in this entire place is stuff that you've seen on the Game of Thrones. Right. So the wall, the the, the battles that happened out there, Dimiborgir, which is that lava field where the the wildlings, uh, you know, set up camp and all of them on the other side of the wall. There was uh, oh yes, there was this cave. I suddenly chanced upon this cave somewhere near Akureyri. I was going around and and I found I chanced upon this cave. There were two or three people there, and I walked up there and I realized that there's one entrance to the cave. It's an underground cave. There's one entrance which is for men, another for women, and both of them equally treacherous. The women one was slightly more easier, so I chose the women one. I threw my uh, 
may you go to the wind and climb through that. But that's the game in which uh, the famous GOT uh, Game of Thrones scene where Jon Snow makes love um, uh, to his then girlfriend. That scene is shot in that game. It's beautiful, right? So there, there's huge amounts of Game of Thrones uh, uh, trivia in the entire place, and that's what I loved about it: the war and the the battles and Irid and all of that. It's, it's just it's just lovely as far as Game of Thrones uh, fans are concerned. Let me tell you a bit about Reykjavikia. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked to me about the Golden Circle. So, from Reykjavik, a little bit of a distance is the Thingvellir National Park. Okay. And that's a really, really old one. Lots of stories are there. I tell you one of them. The Icelandic Parliament is called the Althing, and the Althing started. It's about the world's oldest democracy. Okay, Iceland. And when they started it off, these various tribes used to come together and meet. The chiefs used to meet on a particular stone that exists in the Thingvellir National Park right now. That stone still exists. So, how old? Would that be? I mean, when that's what ninth century, ninth tenth centuries, and uh, then after that, the, there was a, there was monarchy that came. Then the monarchy went off, and then finally uh, the parliamentary system came in. In fact, even now in Reykjavik, the parliament is called the Althing. It comes from that particular stone that's out there. It's it's, it's pretty. It's it's really pretty. The other thing about the Thingvellir National Park, you see, remember I told you that Iceland is a is an island, right? Now there's a rift that goes through it. Now this rift, basically, there is a Eurasian plate. Uh, on the Earth's crust and the American plate, North American, and they're pulling constantly, pulling apart from each other. This pulling apart has created a rift that runs through Iceland. Wow! So in a few years of time, that island is going to get torn apart in the middle. That rift goes through the Thingvellir National Park. You can actually go out there. They built a bridge out there. It's an extendable bridge uh, on nuts and bolts, which they extend, and it extends by a few millimeters every year. The bridge grows longer, so you can just keep walking up and down, and you're crossing continents on that. It's called the transcontinental rift, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Standing out there in the middle of that rift is is out of the world, as it were. This rift also exists, uh, uh, extends into the sea, by the way, near there. So if you want, you can go in and do um, uh, uh, go snorkeling into that, go swimming into that, and swim in that rift. I didn't do it, but you can do it. Oh. So that's another one. Reykjavik also has a town. I might be focusing on the outskirts of it. Oh, I forgot to tell you, there is this place called the Moonscape. Okay, this is in a place called uh, Skutustadi uh, near Akureyri. It is the place. It's eerie, Kishan. I tell you, it is completely eerie. It's just snow and nothing else. And miles upon wherever you see is just snow, and there are small craters. Books that and you see pictures of the moon, it looks exactly like that. That's why it's called the moonscape. And apparently, um, uh, Armstrong and Aldrin, before their moon landing and preparing for it, they went and trained here for some three or three to six months. They stayed there and trained because the landscape is very similar to the moon. It's called the moonscape. Most people miss it. You must visit it if you get out there. Perfect. And on Reykjavik, let me tell you one more thing. On Reykjavik. Very very bustling town, superb nightlife, great amount of pubs, lots of youngsters. They know how to have fun in this place, despite the cold and all of that. Very interesting places out there. They've got a place where they have a museum, and they've got a fabulous sense of humor, right? They've got a museum which has uh, the male sexual organs of every species in the world preserved in a museum. Now these guys believe in the in in uh, uh, these mythical creatures that live there, elves and so on and so forth. They've got one of them, which is an empty box, and, and it's labeled as it is of that elf because these are not people. These are not seen. The elves are uh, not visible right. to human eyes. They've got an empty box of 
I had such a laugh looking at that. And uh, uh, that's about it. So yeah. So Iceland. What else does it have? It's got a fabulous hot dog stand, man. Mm. It's called Bejarin's uh, Bed Stew Pilsu. The Guardian uh, uh, in UK. The Guardian had in 2006 called it the best hot dog stand in the world. It's about a hundred years old, man, or eighty years old. And it's in the same place. It's a one small stand on the on one fairly busy intersection, and there are lines of people in this cold standing out there to get one of those hot dogs. I had one of them. It was nice, but. So, so coming down to food, yeah. How would you describe the non-vegetarian food that you would get there, and the vegetarian food? See, obviously, a lot of uh, Indian travelers, like including myself, yeah, and you know, are vegetarians. Yeah, and you know, it's, it, it turns out to be difficult at times, especially in places like Europe. Now, it depends upon from place to place, right? Yeah. So, if you could just touch base on what kind of food that you typically get in both. Okay, so I had I, I'm I'm a, a non-vegetarian, but I prefer to eat vegetarian when I'm traveling for reasons of hygiene and stuff like that. No other reason. But I went there and I had lots of food. I had lots of non-vegetarian food, and but I mainly survived on vegetarian food. Mm-hmm. So I did try the whale. I did try the reindeer. I did try uh, uh, every other. They had horse also at one point. So I did try all of them. Uh, they're predominantly non-vegetarian. Their menu and their soups and everything, but some lovely vegetarian food. In Reykjavik, for instance, uh, uh, oh, they eat a lot of fish also, by the way. But in Reykjavik, for instance, the number of vegetarian and vegan um, uh, outlets are amazing. Lots of veg food. By the way, there's an Indian restaurant in Reykjavik. It's called the Gandhi Restaurant. Yeah. At one point, I was walking around and found this neon sign of this bald man with a stick walking around the place, and I said, "My God, this looks familiar." Mm-hmm. The name is Gandhi Restaurant. There's lots of Indian food. Okay, and lots of vegetarian options. There's absolutely no problem on vegetarian options on food. In fact, in Akureyri, I, I, I uh, met a lady who runs a restaurant there, and on her menu she has hold your breath Madras chicken curry. Oh, yeah, she's from Trichy or some such place, and she speaks fluent Tamil. She's settled out there, and it's great Indian food. So Iceland, I mean, uh, is it as expensive as a place like uh, like a Norway would, or like uh, I mean, uh, how expensive is Iceland? No, no, Norway is a whole different cup of tea. It's the most expensive place I've uh, in Europe, according to Iceland. You can get by on a shoestring. You can get by on five-star hotels. Also, you can do it. It, it depends on how you want to do. I travel from uh, Reykjavik to Akureyri by bus. Because I I travel solo, I took a bus and went. I didn't take a car and go. I you know I travel on shoestring buttons only. So I took a, a bus and you could stop off. The buses are plenty. There's you just have to time yourself well. They're very punctual in this place. You time yourself well. There are buses every half an hour or forty minutes. And then I I, I travel the entire country by bus. Okay. Is is there uh, an opportunity to self drive in a place like Iceland? Yes, you could. You know they have this very interesting story there, uh, which is that if you're lost in an Icelandic forest in winter, what do you do? You just stand up, and someone will spot you because the forests are shorter than you are. Oh, yeah. There's not no tall trees around. They're all very short, and they're all covered in snow. The problem with driving in this kind of a, a countryside is that you don't know because it's all covered with snow and ice. You don't know on the sides. You don't have buildings and so on and so forth. So you don't know where the road ends and it begins. I think it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. During summer, it's great fun to go around the road across around the circle. But during winter, I would suggest don't do it. Okay. There are enough buses there. It's far cheaper and it's lovely, and you get to meet so many of these locals on the buses. They're very talkative people. But you have to make the first uh, effort. 
Right. They'll never come and talk to you. They're very polite in that fashion. But if you make the effort to talk to them, I don't think I spent a, a single evening in Iceland out of the three weeks I was there drinking by myself. I always had company. I'd walk into some pub or a bar. I'd always find someone, strike a conversation. Before we know it, we'd be buying drinks for each other, and and that's about it. They're very very friendly folks. Then. So one final question uh, is: If I have to travel from India down to Iceland. What would be the typical route? I mean, so the best way to get in is to through Reykjavik is through one of the European countries. You could go via Frankfurt, or you could go via Amsterdam, okay. or even London. Any of the uh, major hubs, major airline hubs in Europe would have a connectivity to Reykjavik. Get into Reykjavik. I'd suggest Amsterdam because then, while coming back, you can get away from all that snow and all that, and kind of let your hair down in the party capital of the world, Amsterdam. Mm. So you you flying to one of these hubs and then fly into Reykjavik. Typically, it is about four or five hours from anywhere in Europe. So it's a very, very convenient way to get in there. And the best part of Iceland is you don't need to fly after you get there. If you really are in the mood for splurging, you don't have too much of time and you want to cover all of Iceland, fly from Reykjavik to Akureyri. Not very expensive. Akureyri is a lovely little airport. And, and it's beautiful. The town is beautiful itself. So you can fly and save the time, but then you will not see the sights on the way. You won't be able to stay in those small towns. You won't be able to meet that many locals and all of that. Okay. Now, uh, one more question that I had was, considering that I go and visit Iceland, yeah, is there any other country close by that you would uh, perhaps think of recommending? I know Iceland is a country by itself, which is which is right in between and doesn't. I think it's surrounded by the ocean, right? Yeah. So, is there any any other country that you would perhaps uh, recommend? Yeah, travel. Hop across to Greenland. Greenland. Hop okay. across. It's up north. It's, it's but their flights are very expensive. But if you have the time, if you have the money, if you want to see the back of beyond, really. But we'll keep keep that for another podcast, not for another session. But Greenland is it. It's a short flight away from Iceland. Head to Greenland. You don't have that much of time. You don't have that much of uh, budget in that travel that you want. Use uh, any of the places that you're using as your uh, uh, access point into Iceland, whether it's Germany, whether it is uh, 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 Netherlands and Amsterdam, whether it's London. Go spend a couple of days there while going or while coming back. Amsterdam is great if you want to do that, and it's five six days and it's and it's beautiful. Hey, thanks so much, Anand, for uh, dropping by, and it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, hope to hear many more uh, experiential travel stories from you. in the coming sessions thanks kishan thanks for having me here thanks for tuning in do come back for more such experiences to the beyond experiences travel podcast take care stay safe have fun and whatever else you do don't trip on the usual